thank you, David. And uh, <clears throat> let me just say to all of you that it's a special privilege for me to be here today with you guys. Um, I noticed something special about this group of people. We've been here, I think we visited here three times previously. And now with this invitation this morning as I'm sitting here, this is what I sense, that the blessing of the Lord is upon what is happening here. There's that sense of, of God's presence. In fact, as I was sitting there and you were singing, thank you, leaders, for putting Jesus <clears throat> at the very center of the worship this morning. It wasn't about us or about you. It was all about Jesus. Fact is, I, I just wanted to shed a few tears as I sat there, just that sense of his presence. And I thank God for what he is doing among you and uh, leading you and guiding you. David and uh, Elizabeth were part of our lives back in California many years ago. We were in the same church. In fact, David and I served on the same eldership of this church. And uh, neither one of us knew we were moving to Texas. And uh, in fact, they moved here almost the same time as we did, just a few weeks apart. And I only discovered it on Facebook. Thank God for Facebook, you know. Sometimes. And uh, we got together then, and since we've been following them and uh, praying for them. And uh, now David and I have been meeting on a regular basis, and there's that sense of both having the same desires in our heart, and that's a desire to see Jesus lifted up and glorified. This morning, as I was praying about, again, about the service, uh, the thought came to me, and I wrote three things down for this service today. What's my purpose? What's our purpose for being here this morning? Number one, I pray that God will give us a new view of what Jesus is really like. It's not, I'm not talking about religion. Hey, we've got a lot of that all over the place. I'm talking about relationship. I'm praying that God will give us a new vision of what Jesus is like. Secondly, that before we leave here this morning, we'll experience the touch of Jesus on our hearts and lives. I know that you know that you can come to church and not experience that. But I also, also know to tell you this morning that he is here. And his desire is to touch our hearts, to touch our lives. And then the third thing that I wrote down this morning is that, Lord, please, not only touch us, but change our lives. Begin a work in us that will change our lives. David has said we've been in the ministry for many years. In fact, my wife is here with me this morning. She won't stand, but can you wave your hand? No. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Both hands. I didn't ask for that. <laughs> but God has given us 68 years of ministry together. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a long time, <laughs> but it's been a very good time because he has opened doors for us to minister in West Africa, 
South Africa, all over Europe, and India, and many places. And that brings me to the topic of this morning, and it's this, the ministry of Jesus, the resurrection ministry of Jesus. Because what we have seen is him at work in touching the hearts and lives of men and women in all of these countries around the world. You notice in your notes that we are referring to John chapter 20 and 21. I would love to, like to be able to go through all of the verses of John 20 and 21, but there's a, a theme that runs through these two chapters that I want to look at. Of course, it all begins when the disciples, some of the disciples, some of the women disciples who were following Jesus come to the tomb after Jesus has been placed in the tomb after his death. And they are greeted with these words by God's angels. He's not here. He's not here. He's risen. Why are you looking for someone who's alive in a cemetery? Is really what they were saying. Think with me for just a few minutes in preparation for this message. These followers of Jesus had observed his ministry closely, at least for three years and three and a half years, whatever it was. They had seen blind eyes opened. They had seen deaf ears opened. They had seen lepers healed. They had seen cripples walk. They had seen the dead raised. And they were a part of something that was, you know, really exciting. I mean, they were a part of it. He had called them. Not only that, but at one point, he, he spoke to them and said, I want you to go into all the world. And he says, I'm going to give you power to do the things that I have done and that I am doing. I tried to put myself in their thinking this morning as I was thinking about that. How would I have felt at this point? Wow. What a challenge before us. Just think, he has started this whole thing, and, and here we are, a part of it. What will the future hold for us? In fact, a couple of them, you remember? They asked their mother to talk to Jesus and see if they could get on his right hand and on his left in his coming kingdom. They had a, a, a view of something great ahead in this ministry. But now, he's gone. He's in the grave. Can you imagine the thinking that must have gone through their minds? We followed him for three years. We left the nets. We left the tax tables. We, we left our father and mother. We've left everything, and there's nothing. The leader is no longer with us. Of course, we started out by saying that the angel said, he's alive. But you know, they had a difficult time believing that Jesus was alive. It was not an easy thing for them. They had not seen this kind of thing before. And what I've seen in these two chapters that we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus is now ministering to them personally where their needs are. All this time been ministering to all these other people. And they're there seeing all the things that he did. But 
I don't know how much they personally had received or how much they knew that they received, that they needed to receive. But now, I call it the personal resurrection ministry of Jesus. Because you'll see in these two chapters, he's not preaching to the multitudes, he's not healing the sick, he's not doing any of these things. But he is zeroing in on the needs of those who were closest to him. You know what? We can identify with that this morning. I can identify with that this morning. Because even after 68 years of ministry and going to all these places and doing all these things and seeing what God would do, there's not a day that I don't wake up when I don't cry in my heart and say, oh Lord, I need you today to minister to me in a personal way in my life, in my heart. And I just believe that as I look across this congregation this morning, that you would probably agree with me to say that I need a special touch, a special work of Jesus in my life today. Chapter 20, at verse 11, let me read. Uh, my translation will likely not be the same as yours, but... Uh, everybody, it seems, everybody in the evangelical world has a different translation. But it says the same thing. Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She, she saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because he have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. And she glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned toward him and exclaimed, teacher. I love probably this story right here more than the rest of John 20 and 21. Mary. Mary who? Mary Magdalene. In the book of Mark, it says that she was the one whom Jesus delivered of seven demons. Think about it. Think about her life in the past and what she must have been. We don't know any more about it than that. But we do know that she was a follower of Jesus. And obviously, everybody else was gone at this point. Even the disciples that came and looked in the tomb, they were gone. They'd gone home. But Mary lingered at the tomb, weeping, heart broken. She was fearful. I'm sure she was fearful. You don't know what, what these enemies are going to do next to the followers of Jesus. They killed him. What are they going to do, what are they going to, do to me? Hopeless. Couldn't see beyond today. Uh, sorrowful. Uh, angry. Yeah, I think so. Abandoned. Absolutely abandoned. Rejected. Rejected. 
Have you ever been in that place in your life? Have you experienced the sorrows of rejection, hurt? I want you to notice what Jesus does in this situation, and that's why I love it so much, because Jesus didn't say, okay, Mary, now you heard me teach, you heard me preach, you heard me tell this, you heard me tell that. You shouldn't be crying, you know. Everything's going to be all right. No, he didn't do that. He looked at her with compassion, with love. And he said, why are you crying? Well, where did they take my Savior? Where is this Jesus who has done so much in my life? But you see, I love the way Jesus responded I love it because it was so personal. He looked into the face of Mary, to the eyes of Mary, and he didn't give a sermon. He simply said, Mary. See, Jesus, Jesus had taught earlier in John chapter 10, he says, My sheep know my voice. And he says that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. You know, I never put that together before, but it fits together so perfectly, doesn't it? He said, Mary. And there was an intimacy about that speech that he gave, that word that he gave, that caused her to recognize what she hadn't recognized up until that moment. This is him. And suddenly... Everything is all right. Let me tell you a little story. I don't know how many stories I'll share this morning. I don't even know how much time I've got, but I'm going to be careful. Uh, I might want to come back again sometime. I don't know, David, but... uh, Yeah, it's about 24 years ago right now. I was sitting in a little chapel in a hospital in Santa Rosa, California. I was down on the second floor in this little tiny chapel. Our youngest daughter was on the third floor in the cancer ward. I'm sitting there in this little chapel and we've been for 15, 16 days praying desperately, looking for the Lord for help, some kind of help. Doctor says he only has 20 days to live. And, and I'm sitting there, this great man of God, preaching around the world and doing all this stuff. Just like these disciples and Mary. But suddenly I sense I'm totally dependent. I need to hear from him. I need his touch in my heart, in my life. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm crying. And I'm talking to the Lord. And I don't remember all that I said, but I know one thing I said, Lord, is I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. And if I ever heard a voice and I didn't hear it out loud, but it was in my heart. And the Lord said to me, you don't need to understand. Huh. 
I want to understand. You don't need to understand. Just trust me. I said, yeah, that's good, Lord. I know. I, I know what you're saying. And I know that you're here. I know that you're in this room with me right now, but I'd like to see somebody. I really like a body. And would you know, as I said that word, the door opened. No, Jesus didn't come in. No, no, I'm not going to tell you that. I wish. But I'll take his second best. It was one of the deacons from my church who took his lunch break to drive to the hospital and to try to figure out where I was. And he found the prayer room and he walked in. I'll never forget Steve as long as I live. And I remind him of it whenever I can. He walked in and he sat down to me, next to me. I couldn't talk. And all Steve did was put his arm around me. And he began to pray with me. No, that was Jesus. And I don't know what you're going through this morning. I, I just know that life has a lot of junk in it, stuff that comes that we don't like and we wish we could get rid of in our lives. We have, we have relational problems. We have illnesses. We, we have disappointments. We have all of these things that Mary had. May I remind you? He knows your name. He knows your name. <laughs> and if you listen real carefully, you're going to hear him speak to your heart. Personal. Resurrection ministry is a personal ministry. I could tell you story after story of how God and his mercy and his grace and his love has reached out to us through all of these years in all kinds of circumstances. He never forgets us. And so wherever you are this morning, whatever you're experiencing in your life, I just want to tell you now that right now in this service, this moment, and, and even throughout the rest of this time that I'm sharing, you can experience that touch of Jesus for you personally. He's calling your name. Almost feel like that's the whole sermon. But there's a lot more in John 20 and 21. You remember that the disciples, the picture is very clearly in 19 verse, it's that, that evening, the same evening now, on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. I don't know. I wonder, I wonder what Jesus was thinking. Oh, of course I know because he's so loving and so good. But if I had been Jesus, let's put it that way. If I had been Jesus, what I would have been thinking is, where are these guys? Huh. Peter says, everyone else will deny you. I'll never deny you. Hey, I'll die with you. And they all said, we'll die with you. Well, he's dead as far as they were concerned. Where were they? They were behind locked doors, fearful. You know, do you experience fear in your life at any time? You say, oh, wait a minute, Pastor Mel, uh, 
hey, I, I'm being honest, fear. I remember a time in our lives in a pastoral situation. I don't want to scare anybody here, but uh, in a pastoral situation where Vernon and I were behind locked doors in our house, we would not answer the doorbell. We would not turn the lights on at night, hoping nobody would come by. And when there was a knock on the door, it was silent. We were so fearful of what people had already done and what they would do to us. But Jesus, Jesus saw us. He saw us in that condition. And I don't remember him reprimanding us. I don't remember him saying, well, you weak faith people, what's wrong with you? Why don't you buckle up? No. We got a phone call. A new convert. And he says, Pastor, we don't see you anymore at church. I said, well, no, we're not there anymore. He said, well, what's wrong? I couldn't tell him what was wrong. He said, Pastor, we miss you. My wife and I want you to come to our house, and he gave me the date, and we're going to have dinner together. I was even scared to do that, to tell you the truth. And I remember going there and sitting there, and I wondered, what in the world am I doing here? What's going to happen next? When he said to us, could we have a time of prayer together? And I said, new convert. Oh, yes. And so we begin to pray together, just talking to the Lord. And I was sharing with them, and suddenly, in the middle of that little group meeting, of actually, it was his father had come as well, and so there were three of them and two of us, five of us, suddenly, there come what came what I have felt here in this service this morning, the presence of Jesus. His spirit was, his presence was just there. And I saw that this young man and his wife were sitting there and the tears were coursing down their cheeks as, as Jesus was touching them. This was for them. Jesus was touching them. But what I didn't know is that it was for us, that we who were behind locked doors, he was putting the key in the lock and unlocking it. In a few minutes, we walked out of that meeting with them, and I got to the car, and I opened the door for my wife. Hey, I'd like to do that. I opened the door for my wife, and I let her in the seat. And I got in. And I sat down, and I looked at her. I said, it's not true. The fearful things that have been said, what have been pronounced over us as negatives, none of it is true. Jesus has been here tonight and touched our hearts and touched our lives, and, and the fear was gone. Let's look at another one. How about Thomas? Anybody ever hear of a doubting Thomas? You know, when I ask that question in Europe, when I'm teaching, I don't know, always know if they have the same uh, 
thoughts about these things as we do here in America, but every time I say that, everybody's laughing and raising their hand. Yeah, everybody knows the Doubting Thomas. In fact, here's one. Now, Thomas, uh, I don't know if I can be terribly critical of him or not, uh, because I think of him as someone who is very practical. No? Hey, Jesus is dead. Hey, the ministry is finished. It's all over. So what do we do next? Let's, let's get on with life. And so I don't know where Thomas was. He was out someplace when Jesus had come and stood in the midst of those disciples and, and said, you don't need to fear. In fact, I'm going to send you out in ministry and all the good things that he said. But Thomas wasn't there. And, and they said, well, you should have been there, Thomas, because Jesus was here. One week later, well, before I get to one week later, let me just say that Thomas said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Unless I can see the nail-scarred hands and put my finger in his ribbon side, I won't believe it. Very strong. And then a week later, they're back together again and... Uh, they're talking together, and suddenly what happens? Jesus is there. The doors are locked. They're still locked. You know, even after their experience, the doors are still locked. There's still fear and all these things. But Jesus standing in the middle of the room with them. I like what he does. So personal. Huh. And me, you know what I've done? Uh, or to give him his walking papers, I think. You know? You believe, Thomas? No, he didn't believe. But Jesus didn't call his name. But he spoke directly to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, Here, Thomas, put your fingers there. Here, Thomas, put your hand there. See me. It's me. What was the response of Thomas? My Lord and my God. It didn't take a sermon. It took just a gentle touch of Jesus by his words and by his patience and his love. Doubts? <laughs> That's Satan's greatest tool. Did you know that? It begins in Genesis. Did God really say that, Eve? Oh, he didn't mean it. If he said it, he didn't mean it. Putting doubts in her mind. Well, what about the temptation of Jesus? What was that all about? If, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. If, if, if. That's Satan's way. And we live in a society right now that is... Satan is very much alive, trying to cause us to 
doubt the veracity of God's word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And we cannot live by anything else except this living and written word of God for our lives. This Jesus lovingly said to Thomas, okay, look, I'm not going to excommunicate you. Go ahead. And Thomas believed. He's saying the same thing to you this morning as well. There's another story that I'm not going to look at from Luke's gospel. It's in your notes, but you can go back and look at that yourself. About the two on the Emmaus Road, which was another great story of how Jesus personally ministered to these two disciples. But I want to go down to the rest, the two more stories in John. And this is John chapter 21 now. I, I would like to have been in that crowd. I'm not much of a fisherman. That, and these guys, you know, fact is, last week I was in Colorado in the mountains and all those wonderful ponds and rivers and, and lakes and all, and everybody's fishing. I think everybody, the guy I was with had six or seven fishing poles in the back of his, his van. And uh, every time he saw a lake, he said, I got to get to that one. And uh, that's not me. He said, do you want to fish? I said, well, I think I'll watch you. There's a reason for that, you know. But think of these guys. Seven of them. You know, hey, they were God's chosen. Christ had chosen them for a specific task. Get it now? This was a gospel that was promised to change the world and change the lives of men and women. It was the hope of the world and the hope of our world today. But the responsibility and the privilege was given to these seven guys. Well, 11 probably, but there's, these are the seven here now. I can see him sitting down and, uh, oh, well, Peter says, you know, he's the spokesperson. Hey, he says, He's been up, you know, we've seen him a couple of times, but he doesn't stick around now like he used to, you know. He's not leading us like he used to lead us, and we don't have this close fellowship like we used to have. He said, like, guess what, guys? Uh, it's all over. I don't know if you can read that into this or not, but I can read it into it. It's all over. There's, there's no use. Uh, you know what? I, I think it's time to go back to fishing and they all said, yeah, we'll go fishing with you. Get the picture? They're out in a boat all night and catch nothing. Catch nothing. In the morning, they look and they see somebody on the shore. They don't have a clue who this person is. And, uh, and the person says, hey, boys, not catching anything. No, no fish. We haven't caught anything all night. He said, well, I'll tell you what, throw your net in over here and, uh, and you'll catch fish. They still didn't know who he was until 
the net became full of fish. And then John, you know, John, the one who was close to Jesus, he says, uh, hey, Peter, guess what? That's, that's Jesus. Jesus, really? And Peter put his cloak on, he went overboard and made his way to the shore. And they, they brought the nets in and the boat in, and there's Jesus. The only person I can think about when I think of it is Peter. I can think of Peter. Uh, he had denied. He was fearful. Not only of the Jews anymore, he was fearful of Jesus. I am expecting. What about my ministry? What about the things that I've done and the things that I should be? What about all of these things? And Suddenly, there's Jesus, but I want you to see what he did, what Jesus did. This is so good. Oh, Jesus is barbecuing fish. I have an idea they, they were smelling the fish. And he said, bring the fish that you've caught. And I like this in this translation, I don't know all the translations say it or not, but he says, come and have breakfast. <laughs> we used to sing a song years and years ago. Most of you probably would never have heard it. I don't know. I can't tell your ages exactly, but uh, come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. Yeah. Any of you ever hear that? Ah, great. We have, bless your heart, brother. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He fed, fed the multitude, turned the water into wine. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come. We used to sing that. Oh, man, that was a, a good old hymn for us to sing because it was joyful because this Jesus says, come and dine. Now, you would think, that Jesus would have a podium set up there on the beach, something like this, and said, okay, you guys sit down now. What are you doing out there on the lake? You don't know what you're doing. You're a mess. Well, they already knew that. He didn't have to tell them that. And he knows about you, and he knows about me the same way. And what does he say? I love you. I love you. Come, let's have fellowship together personally. It's such a neat thought. His love never changes. But as a resurrected Christ, he was looking in on the deepest needs of their heart. It's not what we do or what we can do or how we can impress God or not impress God, but it's Jesus overflowing with love for us. Oh, there's one more story here. And uh, I think this is that along with Mary Magdalene are the two favorites for me in this passage. Uh, you know, I try to put myself in Peter's place again here. What is he feeling? 
okay, we're having breakfast with Jesus. That's good. And he's invited us together and all of that. That's great. But I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Is there anyone here who has never failed in their Christian walk? You've never experienced sadness in your heart because of something you said or something you did? No, you're all like me, I'm sure. Peter was feeling it, but it got worse. It got much worse because Jesus said, Peter, you and I need to have a talk. Oh, no. I'm sure that Peter thought, okay, I deserve it. Let's, let's get it over with. Let's have the talk. And Peter and Jesus together alone. Peter, Jesus didn't say, Peter, did you hear the cock crow? No, he never said that. Peter, do you remember what you said? You said that you would die with me. Remember that? No, he didn't say that. Huh. He says, Peter, do you love me? Huh? Whoa. Yeah, Lord. Hey, I left everything. Yeah, I know I'm a mess, but I, I love you. Three times. He didn't ask him for an accounting of what he'd done with his time, or how many times he failed to have his devotions, or, or how many times this happened or that happened in his life, or, or didn't ask him about the bad things he'd said about people and, and the thoughts that he had. He simply says, do you love me? And Peter answered three times, you know that I love you. And Jesus answered three times. Feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. Feed my What was Jesus saying? He was saying, Peter, even though you feel you are a failure in your spiritual life and in the ministry that I called you to, I want you to know that I know that you love me and that still you want to serve me. And right now I'm restoring you back to the ministry that you thought you had lost. Back together. Yes. You may feel like you're a failure even this morning. But Jesus looks at you differently than you look at yourself. And that's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. He looks at you through the eyes of love and compassion. My mind was directed earlier this morning to Romans chapter 8, and I won't turn to it and read it, but 
where Paul talks about what shall separate us from the love of God. What? Can anything in this world separate us from his love for us? And he says there is nothing that can separate us. His love is a perfect love, an eternal love. And I'm confident as I stand here that, and I look at you all across this congregation this morning, that Jesus is looking across at us as well this morning. And, and what he is seeing is not what you think he is seeing, because he sees beyond the exterior. He sees beyond the failures and the faults that we have. And he sees us as objects of his love and his care. He would say to you, I see you and know that you have experienced what you have experienced and thinking. We can have the worship team come at this point. There's a verse of scripture in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. This is Jesus. What's he saying? Hear it, hear it. He's saying, come unto me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I have to be honest with you. I thank God for his people like this group of people here this morning, but when I say the word church, and I put quotes, that's, that's not where it is. It's the body of Christ, relationships with him. And what he's saying to us this morning is, all of you are special and precious in his sight. And he's here to touch you. He says, come unto me, all you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and what? I will give you rest. It's all about Jesus. And I'm standing here and looking across the congregations, my privilege, and I see tears coming from a lot of eyes this morning. Because Jesus is giving us a new view of what he is really like. And the tears tell me that he's touching you, touching you now, as he is me. And that your heart is open for him to change your life, your circumstance. And I don't know what you usually do in the close of service like this. I find it very hard to close. But I'm going to do something that I just feel I need to do. I need to pray for you. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. How many of you would say, Brother Mel, God's touching my heart. I have a need in my life just like these 
disciples had. And I need that special touch and change in my life beginning today. Just put your hand up really quick. Okay. Yes. Well, it takes just about all of us. It's true. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, my heart is deeply touched in your presence this morning. I thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for coming. And Jesus, I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to anoint your word to touch our lives. And Lord, you know every person in this congregation this morning. You know those who are sorrowing in their hearts, who have suffered rejection, who have suffered hurt, who have suffered failure. And Lord, they're all your people. Help them to understand today that your love is unconditional love. And that even now as we're standing at the close of the service, your love is flowing into their hearts and lives and you're bringing restoration and strength to them. And Lord, because you've given me the privilege of being here this morning and sharing, I pray for the leaders of this congregation. I thank you for them, Lord. I sense that they are men and women of God who love you and, and are wanting to make a difference in this part of Texas, in this part of Kyle. Pour out of your Holy Spirit upon them in a very special way, we pray. May you be highly exalted. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.